For the last several weeks, Pastor has been pushing us to reflect, to evaluate, to reset, and to reprioritize around this big question. What do you want in life? What do you want in life? It's an empowering question because it puts you and me in the driver's seat. What do you want in life? And our, our sermon graphic for this message series has been this little boy reaching for the top of a Christmas tree. Have you ever watched children's programming around Christmas time with a three or four year old? And when it gets to the commercial break, every toy that's advertised, the child will say, I want that for Christmas. I want that for Christmas. I want that for Christmas. I'm trying to challenge our own children by saying, well, what would you like to give to someone else for Christmas? The training is hard, but I feel like we're making progress. What do you want in life? Some of us might say that you want a, a house that better fits your life stage. You might say you want no debt, you want enough money in the bank, and you like a little bit of extra. You want influence, you want authority, or you want promotion so that what's important to you can become reality. You want to be married, you want kids, you want the kids to get a little bit older so they can get out of the house. Maybe you're at a season in life where you want grandkids, or some even would say that you're looking forward to the day when you have great-grandkids. Great-great-great-grandkids. You want your favorite political party to be in control at the state and national level, so <laughs> the state's agenda and the nation's agenda aligns with your agenda. Some of you would say, what do you want in life? It's a bucket list thing. You want to go to these places or you want to do these activities, and then you would have what you want in life. This could be a health question. What do you want in life? And you want to be free of a chronic illness or a disability. Maybe if you were, to be honest, and someone were to ask you the question, what do you want in life? You would be a physical appearance thing. You want your muscles to be a little bigger or your waist to be a little tinier. So here's where we can get trapped as we're thinking about these things. We can convince ourselves that if we have those wants, then we'll have more peace. When we have those wants, then we'll have the joy that we truly long for. When we have those wants, we'll be content. What do you want in life? What we want in life is contentment. Contentment. That's where we pick up our message series today, contentment. And I don't believe this is just a Christian thing. I believe this is an all-person thing. As human beings, we long for contentment. And contentment is a perfect life condition in which no aid or support is needed. Contentment. Contentment is a full satisfaction with current conditions. To achieve contentment is to say things just as they are, are perfect. You wouldn't change a thing. To reach for contentment is to strive for a life situation where everything is just as you desire. Here's what we're about to see this morning. Some of us are unnecessarily waiting on contentment. We think, when I get 
the next promotion, when the kitchen remodel is done, when the kids or grandkids or great-grandkids are out of diapers. Some of you decided when you became grandparents that the diaper duty was no longer yours. When that bill is paid off, when I don't have to wear a mask in Winco, then I will be content. See, that line of thinking is attaching contentment to a future season. Here's what some of us have found. If we're not content in this season, we're probably not going to be content in the next season. Some of you, when we talk about contentment, you're thinking about maybe a vacation you took where you were on the beach. It was the perfect weather. For us, it probably be around 80 degrees. The sea breeze is blowing. Your little toesies are in the hot sand. You can hear the waves. And in that moment, you would think, oh, this, this is perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. And for that moment, you may be content, but then the weather changes or you got to eat or something, and that, that fleeting moment is gone. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he comes up against all these pursuits of contentment. And he might say, if that is your line of thinking with what you're reaching for in contentment, Paul would say you're missing out. Paul, we know he is one who used to hate Christians, and then he became a Christian. He had this amazing encounter with a resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. And as a result of his life change, Paul became the most well-known missionary of all time, starting churches throughout the Roman Empire and authoring most of what we now call the New Testament. Much of what we have in the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote to churches, real churches and real places and real moments in history. And Paul, one of those letters was written to the church in Philippi, a real city at a real moment in history. What's left of Philippi is in modern-day Greece. In Paul's day, this new movement at the time called Christianity was coming against the city of Philippi's politics. Hmm. Imagine that. Politics and Christianity colliding. Because of this tension between faith and politics, the Christians in Philippi endured resistance and persecution because of their beliefs. Despite all of that, we know the church in Philippi was strong, it was generous, and it was spiritually deep. The early evidence that we see in Philippi is that when there is pressure against the church, the church doesn't just survive, it thrives. This is a community that wanted to help Paul. In fact, the Philippian church actually sent one of their own to Paul with an offering. Poor guy almost died trying to help Paul. That's how much the church in Philippi felt about this man who planted the church in their city, in, this, in their community. In this letter, Paul expresses a, an appreciation for the church in Philippi <laughs> But Paul also says, you know what, even if you didn't send the offering, everything would have been okay. Even if you didn't. Thank you. But I want you to know, church in Philippi, even if you didn't send the offering, I would still be good. Here's how Paul puts it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am 
to be content. Wow. Wow. What an amazing statement. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Well, Paul, what about this? Could you be content if this were happening? Whatever situation I am in, Paul says, I am content. Well, what about that, Paul? What if that happened to you? Could you still be content? What if following Christ constantly puts you at odds with the politics of the day? Could you still be content, Paul? Whatever situation I am in, Paul says, I have learned to be content. How about this, Paul? What if you were in prison? Guess what? You know this, church. Paul wrote to the Philippians from where? Prison. Paul is in prison, and in this letter, Paul says, you know what? I think I'm going to get out. I hope to come and see you. But Paul is fully aware that he could be executed. So Paul is potentially a death row inmate. And he says, I have learned whatever situation I am in, even as a death row inmate, to be content. Wow. Verse 12. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Those contradicting words. Plenty versus hunger. Abundance versus need. Paul says, I know the secret. Whenever someone says, I've got, a, I've got a secret, what do we, we lean in? I'd like to hear that. Now, if you've got a secret, you shouldn't tell people you have a secret unless you plan to share it. Paul says, I've learned the secret. In that phrase, our human nature wants to press in. All right, Paul, what's, what's the secret? I'm going to... We're going to see in a second what Paul says the secret is. But first, don't miss this. He gives these contrasting words, plenty versus hunger, abundance versus need. And he's just said, I've learned that I can be content no matter what the situation. So Paul confronts the idea that contentment increases with abundance. Paul confronts the mindset that contentment increases with abundance. Paul challenges the thought that if I could just have more influence, if I could just have more status, if I could just have more friends, if my Facebook posts would just have more likes or my Insta posts would just have more hearts. I realize I just lost some of you there for a second. We would think if we just have more, then I would be more content. We might say, Paul, are you living in a fantasy land? You are in prison. How could you possibly say that you are content? Now, I believe some of you could school me on this. You would say, you can invest a lifetime trying to achieve contentment with abundance, and you find it unsatisfactory. Career promotion, relationships, cars and boats, homes and remodels. Please hear me on this. Striving for achievement, for better relationships, providing for your family, wanting the best for your kids, freedom as a citizen, these are all good things, and we'll go deeper there in just a moment. However, 
However, however, we miss out if our contentment depends upon the perfect mix of position, possessions, personal relationships, and politics. We miss out. And let me add one more. Physical health. We miss out if our contentment depends upon the perfect mix of position, possessions, personal relationships, politics, and physical health. Let's just go back to this definition for a moment. Contentment is a perfect life condition in which no aid or support is needed. That's what contentment means. Some of you would be able to teach me a lesson and teach some of the younger folks a lesson, and you would say, if our contentment is dependent upon the perfect mix of position, possessions, personal relationships, politics, and physical health, we're never going to get there. We're never going to get there. That perfect mix you would teach me is never going to be achieved. What we do know is that contentment is linked to a pursuit of perfection. Contentment is linked to a pursuit of perfection. Quick definition of perfect, to be perfect is to satisfy all the requirements, to be without fault or defect. To be perfect is to meet the ideal standard. <laughs> Here's a fun game that you can play with family and friends. Take the back sheet of a piece of paper, or a blank sheet of paper, and draw five columns on this piece of paper. And uh, one column you could label position. The next label possessions, personal relationships, politics, and physical health. Then under each column, start to write what, are the, what is the scenario where you would consider to be perfect in your life? What position would you have to have where you would say, I wouldn't change anything? The job description, the hours, the salary, the number of vacation days. What's the position that you would de declare as being perfect? How about possessions? When would you say, we have just the right amount of possessions? I don't need anything else. How about personal relationships? What would be the perfect mix of personal relationships? All the qualities you would want in a spouse, in your kids, in your parents, in your boss, in your employees, in your teachers, in your neighbors. Your husband would start doing this. Your wife would stop doing that. Your relatives would just let that go finally. If everyone would be just like this, you would say, my relationships are perfect. Your politics, what would be all the political positions you would want in the city, state, and nation? And you would say, if the mayors, the legislators, the governors, and the president would adopt these political positions, life would be perfect. Physical health. You could write down the conditions you want freedom from, perhaps what you would want different about your appearance or your strength if you could have it your way, whatever it would take to be content. Some of you don't actually have to do this exercise to see that it's never going to be perfect. The list is never going to be met, and if we were to have everything on the list, we'd find something else. We are never going to reach a point where we have this perfect mix of position, possessions, personal relationships, politics, or physical health. When it comes to those things, 
They're dynamic by nature. They're changing by nature. So we're never going to reach a point where we, wouldn't, we would say, I wouldn't change a thing. Living discontent is what happens when our contentment is linked to areas that will never be perfect. Living discontent is what happens when our contentment is linked to areas that will never be perfect. What Paul says next is a verse that is very well known. When we look at it in context, we see that Paul's contentment is not connected to his position. It's not connected to his possessions. It's not connected to his personal relationships, his politics, or his physical health. Remember that Paul, he gave up a position as an influential member of the Jewish religious elite to follow Christ. He gave up position. Paul gave up possessions to travel the Roman Empire. Paul had deep personal relationships. He had many close friends, but he also had many of his closest friends abandon him. Politics, the political pressure was mounting against Christians. In many areas, the politics was hostile towards believers. It was actually those political motives that landed Paul in prison. Okay, Paul's going to tell us the secret now. Okay, Paul, what is it? What's the secret? Verse 13, Philippians 4:13. Some of you could recite this without even looking at the screen. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Maybe you better know this in the New King James Version. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul shows us that his contentment is found in Christ. Paul has discovered that life is best lived not by striving for the perfect mix of position, possessions, personal relationships, politics, or physical health, because it's never going to be perfect. Instead of trying to find contentment in what never is going to be perfect, Paul says, I am going to find my contentment in the one who is perfect. Jesus satisfies all requirements. Jesus is without fault or defect. Jesus meets the ideal standard. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. Jesus is the one who restores our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. The spirit that dwells in us leads us away from the temptations that lead to destruction. Our God is reliable, constant, unchanging in a changing world. Jesus gives us purpose to join the mission to seek and to save the lost. No matter what we face, God promises to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. And no matter what happens this side of eternity, we win. All right, church, it's time for a, a, a moment of a gut check. Some of us are trusting in Jesus for our salvation, but we're still looking to the world for our contentment. Some of us are trusting in Jesus for our salvation, but we're still looking to the world for our contentment. Christ-centered contentment is independent of external circumstances. Christ-centered contentment is independent of external circumstances. 
This is great news, my friends. Remember we said that Paul might tell, tell you and me, you're unnecessarily waiting for contentment. You can have it right now. When we have Christ-centered contentment, we don't have to wait for our dream job to be content. We don't need to have the house with the quartz countertops to be content. We don't need to have everybody as our friend to be content. We don't need the politics of City Hall, the State House, and the White House to align with our beliefs to be content. We don't need perfect health to be content. Christ-centered contentment is living as if Christ is enough, and guess what? He is. Yeah. Worship team, why don't you come up and help me close this today? You might say, as you push back a little bit, you might say, you know what, Tom, that sort of spiritual contentment, it sounds maybe a little bit like laziness. It sounds maybe like giving up in some of the pursuits that, that I have. That sort of contentment maybe sounds like settling for less than the best. It's actually the opposite. When you have contentment in Christ, you're empowered to step out in faith. When you have contentment in Christ, you are empowered to be bold. When you have contentment in Christ, you are empowered to take risks. Contentment is Christ-sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. Contentment is not based on what you can do, but what Christ has done and what Christ can do through you. See, when contentment is based on position, possessions, personal relationships, politics, and physical health, that may actually cause us to hold back. Why? Because we worry if we... If, what we attempt falls apart, then we will lose ground on trying to achieve that perfect mix. So we hold back because we're, we're worried we're gonna lose ground on achieving that perfect mix of contentment. But when our contentment is based on Christ, we can attempt, we can step out in faith, we can be bold, and if it all falls apart, we still have Christ, who is more than enough. And look no further than the example of Paul's life. Paul was not lazy. Paul didn't give up. Paul never settled for less than the best. Paul did not concede victory to the enemy. If Paul were to be in front of us today, we might ask some questions. Paul, how is it that you were able to start successful churches in places like Philippi? despite the fact that there was political opposition. Do you know that Paul, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with many of the ruling leaders of the day. Paul went toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the most influential politicians. Paul, how is it that you were able to speak boldly in the face of some of the most influential politicians of your day? Paul, how did you endure torture that nearly killed you and then you got back up again and went back in the fight? Paul, how did you speak boldly as an inmate in a prison 
in such a way that many of the inmates, the guards, even the warden, found faith in Christ. How did you do that, Paul? He might look at us and respond this way. It's because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul might say it's because my contentment is found in Christ. And if I attempted those things with the right motives and it all fall apart, I still would have Jesus. And that would be more than enough. Contentment is not complacency or compliance. Contentment is confidence that you have Jesus, and when you have Jesus, you have more than enough. What do you want in life? Contentment. Contentment. May I invite you right now just to close your eyes, bow your heads, just as a moment of self-reflection right now, and I wanna ask you a question, and I'm gonna be the one asking the question, but it really is between you and your Heavenly Father right now. And this is an all-person question, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Here's the question. How many of us today would say that for too long, we have in whole or in part tried to find contentment of the things in this world. How many of us would say that we have linked our contentment to some sort of man-made personal mix of possessions, position, physical health, po politics? If that's you, again, in whole or in part today, and you would say, Father, forgive me for all the moments in my life, maybe even right now, when I've trusted Jesus for my salvation, but I've tried to find contentment in this world. Just as a sign of responding today, would you just lift a hand to your heavenly Father and say, God, that's me. Father, forgive me for all the times that I've tried to find contentment in this world. Hands are lifting up all over this room. And I'm, pastor's hand is up this morning too. My hand is up. Because there are times when I have tried to find contentment in the pursuits of this world. And go ahead and keep your hands lifted or lift up a hand now if you want to make a declaration, a commitment or recommitment to saying, I want my contentment to come through Christ and nothing else. Hands are up all over this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. One more question this morning. Perhaps you're here, you've been invited, you've been coming for a little while and you have been exploring this thing called Christianity. And the message today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has touched your heart. And you would say that the reason that you don't have that Christ-centered contentment is because you don't even have a personal relationship with him. But you wanna change that today. You want to change that today. You want today to be the day that you start finding your contentment in Christ. Today is the day that you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. 
Once again, with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, how many in this room would say, today is the day that I want to give my life to Christ? If that's you, would you just lift up a hand right now and look at me? Thank you, sir. I see your hand. I see you, sir. How many others in this room? To make a decision for Christ today, right now in your own words, simply say, Father in heaven. That's right, right where you are. Pray this out loud. Father in heaven, today I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. I declare Jesus as the Lord of my life. Father, thank you for forgiving my sins through the blood of your son. I receive this forgiveness with a heart full of gratitude. And today I declare Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for those in this room and those who are watching right now who have made a personal decision for Christ. Father, seal this moment in their hearts. May this be the moment where the line is drawn, the moment of no looking back, the moment of living for Jesus instead of living on the run from him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.